There are now over 8 billion people in the world. More than 3 billion have never heard the name of Jesus. They wake up each day without ever having the opportunity to hear the gospel message. No churches, no access to a Bible, and no Christians to tell them the good news. Think about that. Three billion people remaining eternally separated from God. Reaching them is hard. And it can be so easy to believe that this work is for the few, the called ones. But Jesus called every believer to play a part in the Great Commission. The question is, how will you respond to Jesus' call? Hello, everyone. Welcome here again. My name is Dolly Oliech. I'm the missions pastor at Northview. It's great to be with you in this service. If you are new here, welcome here. Please see the lovely uh, volunteers at our Connect desk. If this is your first time here, they have a gift for you. As you may have noticed, today's service is looking a little bit different. Well, it's because it's our Global Focus Weekend. Uh, you hear us at Northview say a lot about gather, grow, and go. Gathering together as a body like we're doing right now. Growing as we dig into God's word in Bible studies, in community groups, and the like. And in our go, we often talk about being a light and sharing the gospel in our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. Go also has a global aspect one that Northview stands behind in the way that we want to see the gospel going to the ends of the earth through our partnerships and our missionaries, and even through you. We're a sending church with 21 missionaries, and we want to send more. Northview has a passion to take the gospel message to the unreached and to plant churches in those regions. Now, having been a missionary myself, I've often been revered because I've left everything behind and taken my family and moved to Africa. I've also been scorned, rebuked, advised not to go because I'm leaving everything behind and moving my family to Africa. I've been asked, how do I have the courage to do this? I've been told, Dolly, you're a hero. Here's the thing, it's not about me. It's about obeying the Spirit of God who called me to serve him in this way. He doesn't call all of us to go to Africa, but we're all called to share the gospel. When you obey his calling, he equips you, he provides for you, he gives you the strength to do the difficult things. And I stand here and testify that the Lord is faithful. I am not alone in this. The people that you see in these videos the men and women there, they would say the same thing, that the Lord has called them, equipped them, and the Lord is always faithful. Ultimately, our goal as a church, our hope as Northview, is that one day all would hear the gospel and give glory to God. And it is because of this that we're focusing on global missions this weekend. Church, would you pray with me, please? Lord, we come before you knowing that the only reason that we're here is because of you. We're so undeserving, yet in our state, you made a way for us, and that's because of your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, 
for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy and for your love and for your never-ending faithfulness. Lord, we know that there are people here today in this service who are going through difficult times. Maybe they're sick, maybe they're worried about things, anxious about a lot of things going on, uh, worried about loved ones, God. Would you just be with each and every person here? Would you just comfort them where they need the comfort, encourage them where they need the encouragement? Lord, we ask for your healing for those who need it. Lord, we know that this church is your body. The church overall is your body. And yet there are so many places in this world that don't have a church. Lord, would you send your people to plant churches in these areas so that all may have access to coming to know you as Lord and Savior? Lord, we know that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Would you do a work in our lives to discern what that means for each and every one of us? I pray that you would awaken our hearts to spread your glorious gospel message, that you would awaken our hearts to your mission. And I pray that more and more people would come to saving faith in you. I look forward to that day when we read in, as we read in Revelation that we will behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue, standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God, crying, holy, 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 praising you because you're the one who brings salvation. I look for that day. And so, Lord, we ask you also to speak through Ezra, who is delivering the sermon. Lord, you've prepared something for him to say to us. Would your spirit speak through him? We also ask your spirit to open our hearts to hear what you have to say and to soften our hearts to follow your lead. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Middle school is dismissed. When I initially went overseas, there wasn't necessarily a calling for me to go. Contemplating who I was and thinking, I, I don't have the gifts. I don't know the Bible very well. I've never shared the gospel in my own town even. I began feeling this overwhelming desire that I, I have Jesus and I have the Bible and that's really all we need. It was that second part where it was like, I'm going to commit my life now to a hostile place, to a place where I can't have a status on the internet. I can't be a name for myself so that some may be able to hear the gospel. No, it was not easy at all. Having a one-year-old with us, it was a hard adjustment. But still, we knew that we're in God's hands and we're doing what he asked us to do. I think that's the hardest thing is to be away from your kids and your grandkids. And yeah, there are really tough days where you're just really missing your kids. And there are seasons where it's, re it's extra hard. And I don't think there's any special formula on how to deal with that loss. But we still remember what, you know, we felt called to come, and that's part of the call. When my parents first told me about uh, leaving, my initial reaction was, no, I don't want to do that. I felt like I had made good friendships, and I was afraid of losing that. All of those fears, I mean, they were real. It was like this duality of, I feel like, I'm missing something, but also rewarding in a sense where I get to keep those friendships, but I also get to make new ones. Nine months out of high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. There was no burning passions in my heart. And I was like, Mom, what should I do? And she's like, oh, I've heard of this 
organization called YWAM. You should look into it. I went into the classroom and they have all the YWAM values written out on the wall. And it was like, no God. I was like, great. It said, make God known. And I was like, oh no, they're going to make me like talk to people about this stuff. And I had a legit panic moment. We kind of want to remove some of the missionary stigma or like some of the thought that to be a missionary, you have to be a certain type of person. And I think that's where actually sometimes it's not incredibly difficult to go. Sometimes when you get there, the sacrifices aren't as crazy as you may have imagined them to be. I'm not overseas material and God called me to Thailand. <laughs> so somehow he chooses who he wants to use and then and he can bring anyone. My biggest fear probably was that the coffee would taste bad. Uh, no. And it doesn't. So just for clarification. It's hard. You don't see a lot of things happening quickly. The culture is very different. The language, which is Arabic, was very hard. And yet every day, you know, you walk out your door and you look at your neighbors and you realize most of them have never heard the gospel. They have never encountered the love of Jesus. And how can I say no to serving there? Happy Thanksgiving to each and every one of you. And a very special welcome to those watching uh, via video link at uh, East Abbotsford and Mission as well. Uh, we trust the Lord's grace and mercies upon you as you worship the Lord in your respective sites, campuses. Uh, it is amazing that we have yet another opportunity this year to thank the Lord for his goodness, his mercy, and his grace over us. Now, if we have never met before, my name is Ezra. I'm one of the pastors here at Northview. Before we jump into the word of God together, I'd like to pray. And I'd like to pray for our world because our world is broken. I don't know about you, but if you've been following the news, I've been following the news and I saw a, a story today that was just heart-wrenching. There is war in Israel and in that region. And some of the images are absolutely horrifying. When you see moms crying over their dead, when you see children who have now been orphaned, and who knows when these hostilities will end. And the language that is being used is absolutely concerning about what they're going to do to each other. And of course, there are innocent people caught in between. And it's interesting how this weekend happens to be our global missions weekend. And it, this is yet another reminder of how the world needs Jesus. This broken world needs the Lord in a desperate way. So please bow your heads with me. Let's just pray for our world. Let's pray for Ukraine. Let's pray for Israel. Let's pray for all these chaos that's happening around the world. Father, Father, I have no words here. I don't even know what to pray. Lord, the images that are on news right now are horrifying, deeply concerning. Lord, I cannot even begin to imagine the pain and the misery that families are experiencing now who have been caught in this conflict. Children who have lost parents today. Moms who have loved, loved ones. Wives losing husbands, husbands losing wives. 
and all the chaos and the mess and the brutality that comes with armed conflict, Lord, is happening right now. Similarly in Ukraine as well, same thing happening there, lest we forget. Lord, we cry out, we need you. You are the one with the answers here. Only you can comfort those who have lost loved ones, those who are seeking medical attention. Father, only you can comfort them there. We remember the church in these regions where conflict is rampant right now. We pray for your children, oh Lord. Would you continue to provide for them, Lord, even in these very difficult times of armed conflict? Lord, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Father. We pray, dear Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come soon, that all this chaos and bloodshed will come to an end. So, Father, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Address this plague that is continuing to wreak havoc in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you will need a Bible. Uh, Matthew 25 is where we will be uh, spending some time this weekend as we look at the Lord's uh, uh, word together. Now, we've been, if you've been at Northview for a while, you will know that we've been working our way through the Gospel of John. And we began at the fall kickoff season, we began... Uh, John chapter 12, and we are working our way to the end of the book. And what is interesting, in the, the Gospel of John, from chapter 12 all the way to the end, that is just recording events that happened in one week. Because Jesus will die in Passion Week. So John 12 all the way to the end is Passion Week. And everything you read there is all happening within one week. So we'll take a pause from the Gospel of John and jump into Matthew a bit. And it wasn't intentional, it is just providential as we talk about global missions. And it just so happens that the Lord led me to Matthew 25, which happens to be a passage or events described in this passage that happened in Passion Week as well. John doesn't mention them, but Matthew does. So we are still in Passion Week, albeit from Matthew's perspective, John doesn't talk about this story. So what is going on here? So just to give us a very, very uh, quick flyover. Matthew 24, 25, Jesus is now, is walking out of the temple. His disciples are looking at the temple. They see all these stones and they see all these grand buildings and they are talking about the grand buildings. Jesus looks and says, none of these stones will remain here. And the disciples are like, what? Yeah, this place, yeah, will be destroyed. What? So Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. He's chilling. His disciples come and ask, hey, Lord. They come secretly, Lord, uh, so you are talking about the end times. Can you tell us what will happen then? You know, it's the same question that your child or, or that you may ask in your community group. Like, what will happen when Christ comes back? What are the events that will precede his coming? And when he comes, what will happen? We know what will happen after he makes the new heavens, new earth. All the saints will be worshiping Christ together. We'll all be having fellowship together. It'll be amazing. But before the new heavens, new earth, what will take place? This is the question the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24. 
So Jesus will respond. He'll say a whole bunch of things will happen there. And what will happen? There'll be birth pains, meaning there'll be all these wars and rumors of wars. There'll be persecution and chaos and false prophets will emerge and they will lead others astray. And not only that, the love of many will grow cold. Love of many, which one? Believers. The love of many, those who will have professed faith in Jesus, those who are disciples of Jesus, their love will grow cold in those days. And not only that, there will be false Christs who will emerge, who will lead people astray. And Jesus goes as far as saying, no one knows the day of the hour of the return of Christ. No one will know this. No one knows it. And in light of that, now we find ourselves in Matthew 24, verse 45, and following all the way to 25, 30, Jesus will give three parables. And these three parables are now aimed at his disciples, or should I say the church, to us as well. And these three parables have a singular point. And the point is, you and I need to be ready for the coming of Christ. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but his coming will be sudden. Therefore, you need to be ready. So the first parable will talk about servants who are on the job need to serve well. They will need to serve well. So in other words, you and I are servants of God. We need to be about his business and be faithful in how we serve. The second example, talking still about the servants of God, but this time Jesus in his parable says, you are brides waiting for the groom to come. And so a bride waiting for the groom to come, she will be preparing herself, she'll make herself pretty. She's waiting for her groom to come. Therefore, church, we need to be focused on the coming of Christ and not meandering and doing other things and be cloud with the cares and the pleasures and the riches of the world. We are waiting for the coming of our Messiah. And then the third parable, which is our text today, is servants need to engage their master's affairs. The servants now will need to engage their master's affairs. And I have three points that will be working our way through here very quickly. The first is a task. There's a task that is assigned to the servants in this parable. Second, there's the trustworthiness of the servants. How are they to serve? What does the master expect of the servants? And then third, the accountability of the servants. There will be an accountability that will be required of them by the master. So the task, the trustworthiness, and the accountability, all of this having to do with these servants. Again, the text, Matthew 25, 14 to 30. So, the task. We will read the text in small portions as we go along, as we take in this story and really get deep into what it actually means. So, the task, Matthew 25, 14 and 15. Just these two verses to start us off. This kingdom of heaven, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another, two, to another, one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. We'll stop there for now. So here, Jesus is now telling this parable of this wealthy individual, this wealthy man, business individual probably, and he is about to go on a long journey. So he calls his servants. And he gives one servant five 
talents and then he gives another one two talents and then he gives another one one talent based on their abilities. Now, this word servant needs to be understood this way. This is a bond servant or should I say a slave. This is an individual who by choice has chosen to give himself, herself over to this master to say, hey, I will serve you the rest of my life. You will own me now. I am yours. So in other words, you legally own me. You control and determine my entire livelihood, my future, and my purpose. It's all yours now, forever. This is the servant. So this is how now Jesus is to be understood by his original listeners and understood by us. There's these servants now who are called and these are individuals who by choice have not chosen to give themselves over to the master. And the master is controlling them forever. He determines their entire livelihood, their purpose and so on. So the master now decides to entrust his wealth, his talents, to these servants. So to one he gives five, two, and one. Now, how much is one talent, you may ask? Great question. One talent was equivalent in those days, was equivalent to 20 years worth of a laborer's wages. 20 years worth. So let us bring that into a 21st century context. So let's say you wanted to hire a laborer, and this laborer was an individual who would probably... Uh, do your lawn and do your laundry and wipe stuff and take care of things and all that. And you paid this laborer who was working for you minimum wage. So the minimum wage in BC is about $16.75. $16.75. So let's say this laborer worked full-time, 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year because you'll give them two weeks vacation. So they're working 50 weeks, 50 weeks a year, 40 hours per week at $16.75. So you will pay this person per year, gross income before tax, $33,500 is what you're paying this person every year, gross salary times 20, which will bring you to about $670,000. That is equivalent to one talent. So the master calls these servants and decides to give this one five talents. So in other words, if the master is giving this one money, it will be $3.3 million cash here to this one. And then the one he'll give two, he will give $1.3 million. Here are, your two, here are my two talents. And then to the other one, he'll give $670,000. He's the one talent. And then he'll go away. And the expectation then is that you'll do something with it. Now, this master will also give these talents based on the ability of each servant. So it, it doesn't mean that the one with the five is better than the one with the one. No. They are all my servants, but I kind of know what their abilities are. I'll give you an example. This is Thanksgiving weekend. And let's say you have family who's coming from Calgary or they're coming from Newfoundland and they're coming to visit you this weekend and you now have to run to Costco to get last minute shopping and you have your three kids. 
So you look at your kids and say, okay, now you will vacuum and do the bathrooms. You will go into the bedrooms and you'll spread the bed nicely. And you will straighten things up and make sure the house is clean and looking presentable. Now the one who's supposed to be vacuuming, will say, mommy, I don't want to vacuum. Why do I have to vacuum and clean the bathrooms as well? And this one just gets the easy job. See, you know that this one does a good job when they're cleaning the bathrooms. You know that. So it's not that they are, you're demeaning them or whatever to do the, because you know their ability and you know the ability and the capacity of this one whom you gave a lighter load. You know as a parent. So it doesn't mean that this one is better than this one. No, you love them all the same. They're your kids. They're, they'll get equal share of inheritance, but you just decided this one will get five, this one will get two, this one will get one. It's the same idea here. So they each receive a talent. So dear church, you see, to those of us, to those of us who have embraced Christ as Lord and Savior, we've embraced Christ as Lord and Savior, we are bond servants to him. Why? Christ paid the price to secure your salvation, did he not? He did. He paid the price to secure our salvation. Now we are his. And because we are his, He now determines our livelihood and our purpose and our future. He does. We belong to him. He controls our life. He has absolute right to say, do this and don't do that. Go there and don't go there. He is the one who determines our future direction. And he will assign each and every one of us a talent, if not more. Every single child of God has been given a talent. Now you may ask, okay, so talent, what are you talking about, Ezra? Is talent like, hey, I'm great at football, or I'm great at hockey, or I'm great at at baking, or I'm great at gardening? Like, what talent are you talking about here? Think of talent this way. Think of talent as opportunities or calling opportunity or calling. And he will give you a talent, opportunity and or calling based on the ability he sees in you or ability he's given you. So in other words, there'll be those in our midst here. Let me illustrate this. There are those in our midst here who might be a doctor, you might be a lawyer, you might be a teacher in the trades, a homeschooling parent, you might be um, a sports parent, whatever you are. God has given you an opportunity in that arena. See, I'm a pastor, and there is no way I'll be given access into a staff room in a school. But if you're a teacher, you're there. There is no way I'll be given access into a hospital wing where you have all these medical doctors discussing complex cases of patients. But you being the doctor, you're there. Engineers, lawyers, tradespeople. I don't have that level of access, you do. So the Lord now has granted you a talent, an opportunity. But for some in this room, the Lord could have called you to let's say church planting. In Canada, oh boy, do we need churches. Abbotsford, we have 170,000 people in this city. How many will go to church this weekend? 15,000 maybe? 
out of 170 thousand people. 15,000, 20, I'm so generous right now. There are so many people in this town who don't know Jesus. What about Canada? Across this nation, how many people are going to go to worship the Lord and give him thanks this weekend? How many? So the Lord needs workers to go. So the Lord could be calling some of us here to quit our jobs, go to seminary, and plant a church in Canada. Or the Lord could be calling some of us to sell our possessions, pack up the kids, and move to Yemen. He could be doing that. He will give each one of us, call you, give you opportunity. He'll give you talent or talents. And he'll expect you and I to engage in his, in his work and in his mission. He will expect you to work. Now, this one received five, this one two, this one one. It's not because one is better than the other. So the talent giving, the opportunities, the calling may be different, but the master is expecting that the effort be the same. The effort must be the same, regardless of the talent you got. So just because you're a missionary in Thailand and you say, oh, so-and-so is a missionary in Thailand. Oh, man, they're giving it all for the Lord. So that's great. Well, I'm just in Abbotsford. So I really, uh, I, I, I don't need to push as hard as that person. You do need to push. The effort has to be the same even though, even though the talent may be different. The talents will be different, but the effort the same. If that is true, then what is expected of these individuals? This brings me to point number two, the trustworthiness of the servants. Notice verse 16 to 18, Matthew 25. He who had received five talents went at once, right away, no wasting time, and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So the one with the five talents, he had 3.35 million. He went, he worked hard, and he doubled it. So now at the end, he had 6.7 in hand. The one who had two, which was 1.34 million, he went, worked hard, now he has 2.6. Doubled the master's money. Now, let's just pause with those two for a moment here. Now you may assume, oh, it is easy to double this money, right? It's easy. Because the passage here is kind of like one sentence. The one who received the five, went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. That is verse 16. Verse 17, same thing. So also he who had two went made two more. End of story. Just one sentence and one sentence. So it kind of like seems easy. Uh, don't assume it was easy. 
Why do I say this? Remember, the master had gone a long time, a long time. And like you and I know, the economies are never stable. There are ups and downs, gains and losses, and it's just crazy. And then there is war and attack and things go haywire. And then there are days when you make hay because the sun is shining and then the storm comes and takes it all away. So there's a lot of work, a lot of um, effort that these two guys, the one with the five and the one with the two, there's a lot of creativity, a lot of effort, a lot of hard work went into doubling the investment. Now, you may say, okay, Ezra, I really appreciate the hard work that these people are doing. I really appreciate that hard work. But um, you're probably thinking, but Ezra, let's talk about the money here. Like, I mean, 3.5 million, it's a lot of money, but it's kind of not a lot of money when you actually think about it. Because if I sell my house, my BC box, nothing fancy, I'll maybe get half that. So, yeah, $3 million or $1.5, it's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money, really. So, I mean, if I have that kind of money, you might think, I might just scale up my business, or I might beef up my stocks and make sure that they are stable, or I might just engage in this entrepreneurial venture that is familiar to me. I might talk to a friend and maybe we can put some money into a project and then we can maybe get a good return. So doubling this money is not going to be as hard as you seem to imply, Ezra. Well, let us take this plow deeper, okay? Let us now, if Jesus were here in the 21st century, how would he unpack this for us? Just so that we can understand and appreciate the weightiness of what he's saying here. Now I want you to imagine for a moment, take all your earnings, gross annual earnings, your gross annual earnings. Think about that number for a moment and have it in your mind, your gross annual earnings. So we are talking not just your salary from your work, but your also your investments, your properties, gain value on different things you have and bring it all together. Such that if you're to liquidate at the end of the year, yeah, this is the number. So this is your gross annual income, okay? Gross. Multiply that number by 20. How much is that now? That would now be equivalent to one talent, right? Times five. Now that is what your master gives you and he is expecting you to double the money. Now if you're in business, all of a sudden, the, the, the business ventures that you were thinking you'd invest $3.5 million, uh, that will not work. There's a whole other way of thinking here because the simple ways in which you've been making money is not going to be enough to handle the enormous, amount that your master has now put on the table for you and me. In other words, you will fill your in over your head in a big way. You will have no idea what to do. It's not going to be easy. This is the weight that the servants who got five, two, and one would have felt. 
it will require a different approach. It will require a different kind of thinking. This, this assignment will push you way out of your comfort zone. See, in the first century, doubling an investment was not easy. My goodness, you had to put your back in it and then some. This is why enter the third servant who received this talent. The passage says, well, what did he do? He buried the talent. Now you may say, oh, he's an idiot. Why did he, why did he bury? Well, in the first century, it was normal or considered responsible if you received significant amount of wealth, like money or gold or whatever, one of the safest ways to deal with it is you go hide it in the ground. There is no safety deposit box. There are no government bonds you can buy. There's none of that. The most secure thing is you need to know what tree in what corner of, of the earth, of the world, that you hid that talent. And even some archaeologists are finding treasures that were buried centuries ago because this was customary. People would do this. This is the responsible thing to do. So you will notice that this guy who received one talent, he did not spend that money. He was not like the prodigal son who went and wasted it on booze. He was not one who lost his master's money either. He looked around, he had received money he'd never seen before. He knew how to make 33,500 and now he has 670,000. I don't know what to do with this money. And I have a master and it belongs to him. So what is the responsible thing? Do I want to risk it by going and investing? No, I don't want to risk. So what am I going to do? You know what? What I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to do the, the most responsible thing I could possibly do. I'm going to bury it. I'm going to hide it. I don't want to lose it. So he didn't lose it. He didn't spend it. He did what he thought was the responsible thing. He played it safe. You see, you and I belong to Christ. And we are his servants. He has given each one of us at least one talent, if not more. You and I. And he has entrusted us with the gospel and he expects us now to obey Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So some of the individuals in the, in the videos that you've just watched uh, here in the service today, the master has expectations that you and I will do something with what we have been entrusted with. He expects you to do something with it, but, but you're probably feeling in over your head with it. You have so many what ifs. Like, what if I can't answer questions people ask me because I don't know the Bible the way Mark Birch knows the Bible? Or what if I lose my job or my relationships or my social standing if I share Jesus? What if I bring Jesus into this business meeting and this is a deal, the person I'm signing the deal with, man, he is the kingmaker. If he just puts his signature, I'll get the funding to do the project and man, that'll be a windfall for my family. And so I just want to make sure that I don't cause any commotion any waves I just want to make sure that we're in good relationship that the, the, the mood is good you know I don't want to be the guy who kind of wrecks the mood 
I don't want to be the person who brings Jesus into the staff room and then all of a sudden it's awkward. I don't want to be this person. Or maybe God may be calling you and your family to engage global missions. But you don't have what ifs, you have what abouts. What about my business ventures here? What about my kids and their schooling and their friends and family? What about safety concerns? What about the funding? You know, I don't want to go and borrow money from people because it's weird. I don't want to be that guy who everybody runs away from when they see me because I'll be asking them, "Uh, have you signed up my pledge? I don't want to be that guy. What about my aging parents? There are so many what about, so many what ifs. And because of all these what ifs and what abouts, we end up being tempted to doing the responsible thing, the reasonable thing, the rational thing. And what is that? Play it safe. Bury the talent. Because that is the responsible thing to do. I don't want to be the guy to make things awkward. I want my neighbors to like me. I don't want to lose my job. So the responsible thing is to hide it. You know you and I do this, don't we? We do this a lot. We do this a lot. So what happens now? Look at verse 19 to 30, the accountability. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five more saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. The master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh my, you and I love that. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me Two talents. Here I have made two, two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, ripping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So... I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. I did the responsible thing. Here. Here, master. Here, you have what is yours. I didn't lose it. I didn't spend it. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. For to everyone who has will more be given. 
and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. Oh boy. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hey, Jesus. Really? The master shows up unexpectedly. And when he shows up, the one with five shows, oh, I have, you gave me five, here's five more. The one with two, you gave me two, here's the other two. And then they receive this well done, good and faithful servant question. Why did the master commend them so highly? Well, three reasons. One, they worked hard. They put their back into it. They doubled the master's money. It wasn't easy. They didn't sleep much. Oh, they worked hard. The economy sometimes favored them and didn't favor them. Things went well and things went terrible and there was war and chaos and everything. Oh, I'm going to lose it and I'm going to gain it. They worked hard. Secondly, they took risks. They took risks in order to invest. Anyone who is starting a venture, it is a big risk because you can, you can take a bath in a royal one. They took risks. They put themselves out there. This safe, rational, responsible route was not an option for them. They went all out and gave their all, everything, to ensure that there'd be a return for their master. But I think the most important thing about them was, and the reason for the high commendation, is what they thought about their master. My master is worthy of all of it. My master is worthy of all of it. They held their master in high regard. Let me give you an illustration. Not a good one, but work with me. Work with me. Let's say your father, your dad, was Usain Bolt, the fastest man on the planet. Olympic champion year after year. Olympic after Olympic. No one beats this guy. When Onimark said he gone, he's the king of the Olympics, this guy. And he's your dad. What would you say about him to your buddies? You see my dad? <laughs> Do you know who my dad is? <laughs> there is no one like my dad. And then someone else could say, oh yeah, but this one is faster. Oh really? Like let's play the tape. I will show you how my dad, he is the real thing. He's the real deal. You will be bragging about your father constantly because of what he has done. Question, church. Here's a question for you. Is Jesus Christ king of kings and lord of lords? Is he? Is Jesus Christ the king of kings and lord of lords, church? Okay, so Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. Do you believe that with all your heart? You would say, yes, you do. Has Jesus Christ, is he the risen Messiah who saves sinners from the ultimate penalty of sin? Is he the ultimate Messiah? Yes, he is. Will Jesus come back again to judge the world and make all things new? You'll say, yes, he is. Does Jesus Christ deserve all the glory and all the honor, all of it? Yes, you would say that question then. Are you telling the world this? See, it's easy to say yes in church. Are you saying this in the community? 
Are you saying this in the staff room? Are you willing to answer his call and risk it all on his account to go to the nations? Okay, forget the nations. To go across the hallway in your condominium to your neighbor's door. To tell him that Jesus is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That he's the risen Messiah who saves sinners. That Jesus will come back again to... Are you going to go? Or are you going to play it safe? And be like the third guy. I will do the responsible thing and hide this talent. Notice what he says. Master, I know that you're a hard man. You reap where you you haven't sown. You gather where you haven't scattered seed. In other words, Lord, do you know the non-Christians in my workplace? And Lord, I don't see you working in their lives. Man, they are harder than hard. There's no way these men who are swearing at the workplace are going to ever hear me or, or accept Jesus. Lord, you see how difficult they are. You're not working there. So how am I going to make an, unless you move, there's no way. So you know what, Lord, it's easy. I don't want to make it awkward. So I'll just keep quiet. Lord, I will not take you there because it's weird. So I'll play it safe and I will hide it. He was afraid. He didn't waste it, he didn't lose it, he didn't misuse it, he did nothing with it. He played safe. Now you may say, but Ezra, I give generously, Ezra. Do you know how much I give? Ezra, do you know how much I serve faithfully and I I volunteer for ministry and I lead a community group in my... So Ezra, you're saying I must fill in the blank. Are you saying, Ezra, I must talk to my neighbor? I must be that guy who will make things awkward? Ezra, are you saying that I must quit my job and maybe go to seminary and then go on the mission field? See, your master wants you all in. All of you. Your money, your time, your treasures, your talents, all of it, all of it, not part of you, all of you. Now you may say, oh my, really? Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 38, 39. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, (laughs) you will find it. He wants all of you. Jesus himself said, I am sending you like sheep among wolves. Matthew 10 still. So he then describes, Matthew 10, 16 and following, then he'll describe the challenges. But the challenges are there, yes, but God is there with you. Is it hard? Mm-hmm. Is it awkward? Yes. 
But is he there with you? Yes. Yes. 100% yes. And all the missionaries whom you're seeing on the video will say, is it hard? Yes. But is God there? Absolutely he is. Why? Because he promised his Matthew 28, 19 and 20. I will never leave you. I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Don't do nothing. Do not. You know, the crazy thing, this might sound crazy, but there is a joy in risking it all for Christ. There is a joy for risking it all. If you don't believe me, there's a video that I want to play for you right now. Watch this. I think I remember the first time somebody wanted to read the Bible with me and that excitement of being like, oh my goodness, there's somebody who actually wants to know the truth. Like this is what I came here for. We had the opportunity to baptize some people in the ocean and just that excitement of somebody committing their life to Christ in a very difficult place, that is the exciting part. If I could encourage anybody who like had that feeling like I don't feel like fully equipped or I'm not like missionary material, but you feel that God is asking you to do something, just take the step of faith. I just like knew in my heart like this is the next step of obedience. And I think that got us really excited about like, okay, how can we use our dreams and visions and plans and gifts to love these people and serve these people? None of us are prepared. You can prepare as much as you want. You're still gonna have a big bunch of unknown things happening as you go there. For that, you have to trust God. And this is a good exercise. Otherwise, our faith will not grow. Um, the adventure awaits. God is with you and He will enable you. He will be with you exactly as He promised. We are the ones who are hands and feet of Jesus. So He can use each one of us in different ways. You're gonna use him in one way, use me in a different way. God will use in his family to support and to help each other. Our team going in and out of, you know, the unreached remote areas of the Himalayas, coming back with um, incredible testimonies of people who have had dreams of Jesus or things like that that only God can do and that just definitely light everyone up. I think that it's worth it. I think that even though it wasn't my call, it became my call. God is so good and he provides a way even in those things that we think are so difficult. And he was so faithful to us when we were out there. And he would be faithful to you too. We get so focused on the cost of saying yes. Oh, like what am I gonna lose if I say yes? that really we miss out on what we gain when we say yes and what we actually lose when we say no. It's that joy of knowing that the Lord has already won this battle. One day, every knee will bow, that every people group will be represented around the throne and that we will all be singing unto his name. That, that anticipated joy is a joy that that continues to push you forward. As I close, there is a joy in going. Going across the hallway, going across the cul-de-sac, going across BC, 
or across the city or across the country or across the world. There is a joy. What's the joy? He is always with you. His spirit will embolden you. His spirit will equip you. His spirit will empower you. You will see God work in ways you would have never seen before had you chosen not to go. And yes, there may be moments when you see people come to saving faith and you're filled with joy. But even when you don't see people coming to saving faith as you'd have expected, you will still see God moving and working in and through you in remarkable ways. And one day, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And he will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Risk it all for Jesus. Don't bury it. Risk it all. Let's pray. So Father, embolden your church. Fill us with your spirit. We have many what ifs and what abouts, but you have the power. So Lord, overcome our unbelief and send us. May we, full of the spirit, say, here I am, send me. May this, be, may this be true of the people of this church. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen.